eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Why don't we, why don't we start um, with Tampa Tim? And Tim mentions how he's been listening to us since episode 42. Um, we obviously very much appreciate that. Um, he says to us, what is the impact? So again, stemming from the conversation we were just having. What is the impact of a captain on an NHL team? And specifically, how is Marshan's captaincy shaping the current makeup and play of this year's team? Um, he goes on to talk about, well, I'll just read it. Uh, also, I've been impressed mostly with Marshan controlling himself almost every game after getting mugged by players t- taking liberties with him. I figured the refs would be a little more aware of penalties against the captain, but maybe the refs have their own beef with 63. I'm sure... There's a bit of homerism in the second part, but am I wrong? Um, we've actually talked about that in the past. Uh, the refs really, sometimes in these behind the B episodes, you'll you'll hear a mic'd up ref say, hey, congrats on being the captain. But then like, clearly it doesn't really make much of a difference. Um, but the original question, the impact of a captain on an NHL team and and how Martian is uh, shaping up the current uh, room this year. Yeah, I, I would say the biggest impact of a captain is sort of setting the the culture in the locker room and bringing everyone together, um, you know, team bonding type things like that. That's the most important part is, is getting everyone on the same page, working in the same direction, uh, not having guys feel like they're being left behind or not heard or like they're not really part of the group or anything like that. And that Martian has certainly had great mentors in that respect in Bergeron and Chara. And that's part of this reputation that, you know, the Bruins culture that you always hear so much about, that's really where it starts is that everyone feels welcomed from day one. They, there's no rookie hazing. They don't even do rookie laps. If you're on the team, even if you're just in training camp, you're part of the team and you are treated that way from the get-go free agents who come in captain's usually going to be the first one to talk to them. In fact, that was one of the first sort of tip offs that perhaps Bergeron wasn't returning over the summer 
was when some of the free agents like uh, Shattenkirk and Lucic said that the first guy they talked to was Marchand. It was like, oh, okay, because that was always Bergeron who was the first guy the free agents talked to. Um, so those are some of the elements. And then on the day-to-day stuff, it's just like it's checking in with guys. It's being the communicator between the coach and the players and, you know, letting Montgomery and the coaching staff know, hey, I think we need this today. I think we need to focus on this or this player is dealing with this. And then communicating back of, hey, guys, we're doing this and here's why the coaches um, are having us do this. So those, I would say, their main jobs of the captain. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I completely agree with you, Scott. Bridget, anything to add to that question? Uh, it just, to, I mean, he answered the like the role part in terms of the, you know, the leading on the ice. I think Marshawn, he hit a little bit of a slump, but he he's rebounded and he's brought the intensity. And um, yeah, he's not getting the call still. We know that. Uh, I wouldn't have expected him to. Uh, he's been around the league too long and, and had so many things go go on with him and the refs that it's not surprising to me that uh, putting a C on his jersey didn't really help him out that much. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and also, so how, how Marshan's captaincy is shaping up the current makeup and play of this year's team. I mean, again, Scott kind of alluded to it, but just like Marshan learned from leaders in the past, Chara Bergeron um, and countless others that never wore the C like Mark Recchi and others. Um, So I would just say this, this, this Bruins team, similar to other Bruins teams in the past, most Bruins teams in the past under this regime, um, like you're not you're not gonna maybe once in a while, but you're not gonna really like you're seldom gonna outwork them. They're certainly not gonna give up on, on a game. Like, yeah, a game might look like it's getting away from them and on the scoreboard as well, but it's not because like they're just packing packing their bags for the night. Like, there's a lot of pride um, in the Bruins room. Always has been, and Marshand certainly uh, makes sure that 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 is still the case and. And beyond Marshan, McAvoy and Pashnak will will do the same as well. So it's just it's just the continuation of their culture that Marshan is um, allowing to to continue, um, and and he enforces it for sure. Um, okay, so Scott says, uh, not not Scott McLaughlin, although it could have been Scott McLaughlin. I don't, I don't know the last name. It just says he's Scott. been emailing himself this whole year. <laughs> I got I got a lot of questions. <laughs> um. Okay, Scott emailed us and said, it's obvious the team will look to make some adjustments via the trade market this year and will probably look for someone to fill the leadership slash grit role that Milan Lucic was scripted for. Is there any way Lucic can find his way back into the lineup this season and what date would be would he need to be re-rostered? If not Lucic, are there any younger under 30 guys around the league that might be a good fit for the Bees this spring and beyond? Well, so on the Lucic front, worth noting that this is actually a a notable week because his pre-trial hearing is scheduled for this Friday, January 19th. So there could potentially be some news, at least on the front of like what's next in this legal process after that. Um, I don't, and I don't see Lucic returning, even if the legal situation is, uh, taken care of and and settled. Um, I 
my guess, just my gut feeling that no sources are, are reporting on this is that he's been in that the player assistance program since all this started. And I would bet he probably just stays there through the end of the season. Um, you know, I don't, I don't know that the Bruins really want to go through the whole process of trying to bring him back or dealing with that. And I think Lucic, because of the respect that he has for the Bruins, I don't think he'd try to really force the issue of like, Hey guys, I'm, you know, my legal situation's done. I'm ready to play again and put the Bruins on the spot like that. Like, I think he'll, he'll work with them to kind of, do whatever's needed. And if, if the organizational decision is like, we just don't want to deal with this this year, I think Lucic would understand and, and just stay away. Yeah. I mean, technically I don't, the, the like re re rostering, like he's never, he's never been off the roster. Like he's, he's still, his stuff is still like his nameplate and everything's still in the locker room. Um, he's still on the team. They haven't kicked him off or anything like that. So, like, technically, yes, he could come back, but it just doesn't seem like that would be good for anything, like, optically that and, like, rewarding a guy who clearly has done something very wrong. Um, I just – I don't – I think they learned from last season, too, about adding, a, like, a controversial person into your lineup. Um when they had the Mitchell Miller fallout and that they reversed that very quickly. Um, this seems like another situation where if they were like, yeah, let's bring Lucic back, it would be met with immediate backlash and probably need to be reversed. And I think they know that. So um, I don't see him coming back. So should we hit the second part of the question, which was, I believe uh, asking what so, someone that you could add that would bring the kind of grit that Lucic brings, but under the age of 30 right yeah i mean looking at looking at the nhl standings it'd probably be somebody on a on a losing team right now um you know it's difficult because the league is, has changed so much you just don't really the the players of lucic's caliber um it, they're few and far between so i mean i don't know like a, a a guy that's kind of bounced around from team to team right now he's in ottawa um in your division Again, he's not a great hockey player by any means, but if you put him in a fourth line role, he's not making a lot of money. Um, mixes things up, and you know what, what doesn't get pushed around would be a guy like Zach McEwen. He's 27 years old. I don't know how I haven't watched him much as a player, honestly. Besides against the Bruins and knowing what kind of player he is, Scott, he might be a analytics nightmare. Uh, he probably is. I don't know, but. Um, if we're talking about somebody who kind of brings like what Lucic brings, which at this point in Lucic's, Lucic's career wouldn't be offense. He wouldn't be the power forward he was in the day. He would just be a fourth line tough guy. So if you're looking for a fourth line tough guy, I mean, somebody like a Zach McEwen would maybe be, a, I don't know. I'd have to look at, look at more rosters around the league that are kind of dwindling in their standings. Yeah, well, this this is where it gets tough because it's like, are you Milan Lucic was not here to just be an enforcer or, you know, a part-time player. Like they had a relatively consistent role for him in mind. So if you're, if you're looking to add that, like someone who's going to be an everyday player who yes, brings some physicality. Yes. Can drop the gloves, 
but can also play some hockey and like not, you know, drag a line down. That's harder to find because to Brian's point, there, there a aren't a lot of those guys in the league in general anymore. And B, there aren't a lot who are going to be good enough to play on a, what you hope is a cup contender, which like Zach McEwen, it's, it's a good name to pull, but he's not playing. He's not a good enough to play on a cup contender. He would not be one of the Bruins 12 or in my opinion, even like one of their 15 best forwards right now. So if you're bringing him in to me, that's more of like a Jared Tenorti type thing where it's like, Hey, there, there might be a few games here in the second half of the season where we feel the need to beef up and, and throw someone in there who, you know, we want to send a message and drop the gloves at someone like, you you can get that guy real cheap. Like that's that's not an issue. Oh, you could probably get Jared Tenorti. But <laughs> he just fought again at uh, first Chicago sure. the other day, actually. <laughs> he's, yeah, so, he's still in the league. He's played I mean, on like, like, so far. Yeah. So like you can find that kind of guy and McEwen would would fit that. Um, but if you're looking for someone who's actually gonna be part of your top four lines on a consistent basis, that's harder. And that becomes okay, like is that gonna be a priority for you at the deadline? Or are you prioritizing a scorer? Because that's probably not going to be the same player. Yeah. And uh, so my thought to this too, is that the Bruins seem to have indicated they're moving away from trying to add a Lucci type player to that fourth line and that they might be going more with the skill speed fourth line and, and hoping that Lauco can be the guy that if you need him to fight, then maybe he will or Frederick. But we talked about this with Boquist. You, you put, you have a fourth line maybe with, Boquist and Heinen on it. That's not a, it's not a gritty fourth line. That's a roster that has, uh, you know, maybe an extra scoring threat back there um, and some speed. Well, you, you know, what's, you know, what's interesting too is um, like the whole Lucic fiasco is for, from, from a, from a hockey, well, from a personal standpoint for all involved, certainly disappointing and unacceptable, but Again, we're keeping it strictly to hockey on this podcast. Like from a hockey perspective, like he was an intriguing signing because he does have that leadership. He does have that experience and and enough pop offensively to be a, a good fourth liner. And, and, and I'm going to just, you know, it's worth mentioning that uh, Jacob Lauco in 31 games has three points and Oscar Seen in 26 games has one point. Lucic had two points in four games. Like, you know, he, he's played four games and he's and he's still with the same like the same company for those guys. Like he, Lucic, what I guess what I'm trying to say is, had he been a fixture on this team, you know, through how many games have they played? Forty three. I'm sure he, he could be probably around you know fifteen to twenty points by now. I'm sure he would have been. Um, and that would probably be good for like maybe maybe tenth or eleventh, twelfth in team in scoring. So, yeah, it's 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 disappointing from a hockey standpoint that, that uh, it shaped out the way that it did for him um, and the team. Okay. So any further thoughts on that? Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. No? Okay. So Sam has a question for the great Scott McLaughlin, and she says, uh, Scott, a few weeks we ago. Sam says she or he. I don't. I thought I thought it was. I thought, it, no. Was she? I don't know. Next email, maybe maybe let us know. I I, I, I thought I thought Sam in the past had, had reached out to us and, and we surmised that it was, but I don't know, maybe not. Let's just go with right. Sam. Let's just go with Sam. Okay. Uh, Sam says, Scott, a few and weeks Sam, ago. Sam, feel, feel free to clarify if you'd like. Yeah. No, no, please, no pressure. Please do, please do, Sam. Um, Scott, a few weeks ago when Potra came back from World Juniors, you mentioned on Twitter that the next decision the Bruins had to make was if they would allow him to hit the 40-game mark, which would count towards a full year of service. Can you ex- please explain further? I'm so confused because I thought once he played 10 games for the Bs that it automatically meant he would be a UFA in two years instead of three. How are the consequences of him playing 10 games versus 40 games different? I'll just stop there for now. Yeah. So the 10 game mark, what that did is it triggered the first year of his entry level contract, which is a three year contract. So that contract now runs through this season and two more. So it expires at, the end of the 25-26 season. The 40 games, what that does, as Sam correctly termed it, uh, is it counts towards a year of service when it comes to eventually working his way towards free agency, which would not be in two years. So even though his current contract expires in two years, there are still multiple years of team control after that, through restricted free agency. Um, for a player to be an unrestricted free agent, there's a, there's several different ways you can get there, but the most basic, for especially for a player like Patra, is seven years of service or turning 27 years old. So because Patra is currently 19... This counting as his first year of service, which is what happens if he gets to 40 games, means he. this would now be the first of those seven years that count towards eventually being an unrestricted free agent, uh, which for him would then kick in at age 26 versus if he stayed under 40 games, you would basically, the Bruins would basically have an extra year and he wouldn't hit unrestricted free agency until he's 27. Now that I've explained that, let me tell you why I don't even think this matters and why I would not worry about Patra getting to 40 games or the Bruins for some reason trying to avoid it. Because if Matt Patra continues to develop the way that he has and is as good of a player as we all think he is or think he will be, he is going to be locked up on an extension long before he gets to unrestricted free agency long before he is 26 years old. So I just wouldn't really worry about that. Like core players don't get to that deadline. They sign extensions long before then. You see see that with Charlie McAvoy, with David Posternak, potentially with Jeremy Swayman coming up at some point. Um you don't you don't run the clock down on on core players, which is what I think most of us believe Padre will ultimately be. All right. 
Very well said, Scott. Bridget, anything to add there before we get to part two of Sam's question? No, I think you, I mean, that was kind of a nuts and bolts question there, Scott handled. All right, so I'm gonna throw this to to you, Bridget. And actually, this is a this is a good question. I've actually wondered this myself at times. So it's not a dumb question, Sam. It's a great question. Um, so I'm gonna change the wording here. Great question, but I'm asking it. There was a game recently where uh, there were like seven or eight broken sticks during the game. Can you explain why linesman refs don't pick up the broken sticks while play continues? I'm sure there's a rule against it, but isn't it dangerous for the players? Um, uh, I think I have the like the closest answer that I can that I can think of. And it's because um, it's not that there's a rule against it. Right. But there's an order of what refs have to look at as important. And that falls well below what they're trying to like what their job is trying to do, which is keep an eye on penalties offside uh icing like this falls below them having to try to keep an eye on everything and as we talked about when we had a little bit of a ref rant last week sometimes the game happens really fast and you know you have to be able to pay attention to the game as well as somehow pick the stick up at the same time if you think that you have an opportunity to do that where it doesn't impede your ability to see the play then you can pick it up but a lot of times obviously that's not the case so um or and if the stick is just down on the ice in the middle of play you're obviously not weaving in between players to go grab it so uh there's a lot of times where it's not really easy or possible and the priority is just getting the call right and and you know doing the officiating job rather than picking the stick up yeah, that's that's exactly it. Like, I can't really add anything to that. Um, on the topic of broken sticks, though, and I don't, I don't know if Sam was referring specifically to Monday's game or another one, but I found it interesting in Monday's game, uh, Nico Dawes, the Devils goalie, broke his stick, and two defensemen had a chance to give him their sticks and didn't. And I like, got this. He, I actually he just got stranded this. without a stick. This is the new – I think I've mentioned this on a podcast before – this is the new way they want it to be handled. This is the new like coaching and like decision-making is that you don't give the goaltender a stick unless your goalie specifically is like, yeah, I know I need it. Like I want my defender. Most goalies would rather have their defender have a stick um, because they're more likely to be able to, to block a shot, reach, make a step, like take a step, take a puck away and defend in front of the net then the goalie trying to use a stick that's just it, it doesn't have a big paddle like you're not getting a goalie stick you're, you're getting a defender stick that you're not really used to using and it doesn't actually add that much so the new thing that people are doing is they would rather have the defender the the regular player the skater keep the stick and in, in this case I, I think you're you're right in this case though it's funny because both defenders then like went for a change like 10 seconds later and like like play had moved out of the zone, so it wasn't like they were gonna go all the way back, but it was just like peace, Nico. See you. Good luck, bud. 